Business Women Rock, Episode 8. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. It seems only appropriate on the tail ends of episode seven, my interview with Shama Kabani, the Zen master of social media marketing, that I share with you a great resource available to you from our sponsor, Kim Media Strategies. If you know that you want a more effective and more engaging presence in your social media platforms, then I cannot recommend the team at Kim Media Strategies enough. Let's be honest. It's not enough just to have your social media accounts open and posting stuff. Those platforms really need to be able to talk to your audience and engage your audience and provide tons of value. And that is what Kim Media Strategies has been able to do for the Business Women Rock community because the team there has really understood who we really are and what my goals are for this community to really connect great business women everywhere. So if you're looking for a team that can strategize and execute the best social media strategy that's best for you and your business, then go to KimMediaStrategies.com for forward slash BWR. Okay. So my interview today is with Melissa Thompson, who's the founder of Talk Session, which is a technology company that has created a platform for people who are looking for mental health therapy to connect with people who provide mental health therapy via a telemedicine portal. So basically a video conference therapy session. She started the company in 2012 and since then has made a name for herself as an innovator and an advocate in the healthcare space. Our conversation today really focuses on her experience as a startup, what's been happening in her growth these first couple of years, and um, all of the advice that she has for other business owners and other professionals out there who want to bring innovative technology to old school industries. So turn up the volume. This interview starts in three, two, one. Melissa, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about Talk Session today because it's such a new and innovative technology, and I really want to get the behind the scenes of the story of how this idea even came about and how you've grown this company. So let's talk first about what the heck were you doing before Talk Session? (laughs) Something quite different. So I spent four years as a trader on Wall Street. I worked at Goldman Sachs. I traded emerging market and commodity derivatives, <laughs> and then I went to business school and studied social entrepreneurship, and during business school, I actually um, worked at Chanel in digital marketing and strategy, so quite, quite a different background from what I'm doing today. And then how did the idea of Talk Session even come about? Sure. So from a personal perspective, um, you know, one in four Americans have a diagnosable mental illness, and I think... I, along with most people, have been affected by someone in their lives who has uh, not gotten the help he or she has needed. And so I I started there, and then I I looked at the market, and from a a business perspective, I saw a huge, huge disparity in the accessibility for mental health care 
relative to other types of care. Also, there are so many changes going on in the healthcare landscape that when there's, you know, great challenges, also great room for innovation. So I thought it was a perfect time to get into healthcare. And also mental health care seemed to be the most right for innovation. So you see this opportunity there. You see what's going on out in the marketplace. And then what had you hone in on this particular niche and what came about to actually producing what a solution might be for that? Upon looking at, at health care, I saw that mental health, 91 million Americans are underserved by mental health care access. And you also see headlines about our correctional settings being, they call them the new mental institutions. And it just seemed very sad to me that people just couldn't get the help they needed. So I I put out some feelers and did some market research, and I found that mental health care providers, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and patients, or potential patients, really wanted to talk to someone. And the issue with mental health care, which makes it perfect for this technology, is that um, similar to surgery, but unlike any other areas in medicine, time is finite. So a psychiatrist will book an appointment for 45 minutes, and there's nobody sitting in the waiting room for in case that person doesn't show up or cancels last minute. And so given that mental health care has a higher cancellation rate than other areas of health care, we can isolate through our technology those last-minute appointment availabilities and make that time available to people on demand when they need help. Can you explain for all of our listeners out there kind of the overall uh, process? Like, talk to us about what Talk Session actually is, what the technology is, and what it fulfills. Sure. So Talk Session is a telemedicine platform, and our goal is to increase access to mental health care coverage. So uh, there are two elements. If you go to TalkSession.com, we're only... We only have a presence in, in some states now, so there's a quiz and it says reserve your ideal therapist. And there's six, there are 16 questions that ask a few, um, you know, questions about preferences. Would you rather speak to someone who's a talker or a listener, a male or a female? Uh, any issues you want to elaborate upon where we can make better matches for you? So in that regard, we are similar to the OkCupid for, for therapy. We provide matches that have more dimensions than just Googling therapy in your zip code. But that being said, we don't have a presence in all 50 states because we need uh, a provider has to be licensed in the same state as the patient. So if they, if we do have someone who uh, comes to a patient who comes to us from New York and we have providers in New York, we have built a video technology that is a HIPAA-compliant version of Skype. So Skype is a, a bi-directional video chat technology I'm sure all the listeners are familiar with. But it's not HIPAA compliant, which is the security mechanism required for healthcare companies to protect our health information. So we built a secure bi-directional video platform. It's available at any mobile device. So people can use it on their um, anything with a browser, phones, iPads, or, or their computers. So is the client actually making a, an appointment via the website for a future date? Or as you mentioned before, is this something where it's sort of like a last minute, hey, I need to talk to somebody right now who's available and, you know, let me see if I can get in with somebody who's had a cancellation. Right. So again, we're early an early company and we're still kind of trying to find where that um, critical mass of interest is. And I'm finding as we're going along that it's more in the, I'd like to speak to someone right now side of the equation rather than book in advance, but we do we can facilitate both. 
I think that's so true with people who, you know, need mental health support is usually it's like, you know, I don't want to uh, next Tuesday morning at 830 in the morning. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling. But right now is when I really need some help. So you're really fulfilling that need for sort of on demand, customized therapy session. Yes. So another personal anecdote is, you know, there were many reasons I started this company, but one I don't tell too often is, you know, I I see a therapist and I'm from New York City. I think everyone does, but (laughs) I I would see him at 9 a.m. on Monday morning and he is uh, on 94th and Central Park West. If anyone's familiar with New York City, that's not convenient to anywhere. And so the last thing I wanted to do on Monday at 9 a.m. was to go to 94th and Central Park West, which would take me an hour. I'd sit there for 45 minutes and then an hour back. And also, when you think about things that have upset you or bothered you or things you want to talk about, I record them in the notes section of my iPhone. <laughs> and I found myself reading up the notes section to remember what I wanted to talk about and it wasn't in the moment anymore. And also we have kind of recall bias of how we felt at the time. So I think the on-demand portion of what we offer can be hugely valuable to, you know, have people work out their, their issues. Well, I think that the value there is that it's very user-driven. So it's all about the patient experience first and foremost, and obviously provides a really great opportunity for therapists to really fill Um, you know, time slots that weren't previously taken and be able to be sort of on demand if that's something that's of interest to them. That's exactly right. It's it's driving additional revenue to providers, giving patients help when they need it, and also um, increasingly insurance is reimbursing for for telemedicine, for teletherapy, not in all states, but in, in many. So as a newer company, what's interesting to me is that you have two different pools of people that you're dealing with. You have your clients and you have your therapists. And as a new company, you really had to go for both of those people in order to show value for each other, right? So what was your strategy on which one you approached first and how you actually built up those pools of people? So I'd actually add, I actually have three clients. Given that we need to have local providers in every state, one, our business model, our core business model is B2B, where we license our software to, to healthcare systems. So our client might be an insurance company, and then our users are the mental health care providers and the patients. So we have to keep all three happy. So we started as a B2B model, though. So that's the, the kind of the bread and butter, just provider to patient. And to to grow that network and to nurture that network, I started very small. I started by just doing a lot of reading and reading and studying industries really at the fundamentals, I think, of starting a new business is know what you're talking about. So I just read, I read so much about telemedicine, teletherapy, telepsychiatry, psychiatry in general, and reimbursement policy, I mean, really arcane and uh, not very exciting things, but necessary. And I saw the same, the same names kept popping up over and over and, and so one of them I approached, and it was a gentleman who was older, and they called him kind of the father of telepsychiatry. And I, I just called him, and he's at a university in, in New York City, and he was happy to talk and happy to help. And I find that often with people who are experts in their fields, especially um, if they're kind of ha- partly retired or retired, they're the wealth of information and 
and they, they want to be involved and innovative and new things. So I started by actually having someone who's very experienced and an expert in telemedicine and telepsychiatry and a professor at Columbia who was an advisor. And so from him, you know, we got referrals for a few other providers. And the, the name Cachet carried itself to, uh, to the newer people in the network. And then we really, it was honestly a network effect. So people who would come in, we got everyone professionally photographed and in part because I don't know if you've ever seen any of the directories that are up of any kind of professionals, but I know that I would be scared to see a lot of them. The quality of photo is very good. So they'd come into their photo shoots and, and they'd meet each other. And then we'd get recommendations for, you know, a number for every one person we'd bring in, they'd recommend two or three people. So we had their extensive vetting process and we really have a great core group of therapists. How did you go and find the clients? How did you find the patients? Were those also being referred by your mentor sort of one by one? Actually, so the patients have been completely organic. Uh, we haven't done any marketing. Marketing is expensive, and as, as you have heard probably from your previous um, people you've interviewed, it's, uh, startups have lean budgets. And so we really, it's really been organic kind of grassroots growth from the patient side. And also, we've had kind of marketing up and down, meaning the providers have been referring their own patients to use the system. It's been great from a, a patient perspective. And in terms of the payers, now the, those, those are the harder ones to get to, the insurance companies, the you know, large universities, and that's still where we're working. Um, I'm lucky to be in a part of two accelerators. One is Springboard Enterprises, which is a an accelerator for women-owned businesses. And half the year they take they work on life sciences and half they work on media and technology. And they're, they're just a, it's a nonprofit. They're a fantastic group of women. And in, I think, 13 years, they've graduated 537 female founders, raised $6.2 billion in IPO 10 companies. Holy cow. Yeah, they're incredible. And so they have a great support network. They give you a coaching team. And, you know, it's through networks like that. I'm also in a program with GE Healthy Imagination Initiative and Startup Health Academy. And it's a three-year partnership. And so you hear about all these tech accelerators and incubators, and it's a bit overwhelming. But if you can find one or two that fit your your needs, and that might be technology, it might be energy, whatever it is, they, they exist. And if you can build up that support network, everyone wants to help each other. And there's the network effect of having, um, you know, 10 companies in a group together share resources. And I think uh, one's network is, is really the greatest asset. So you have, as a technology company, you have two major hubs that you need to spend time and dollars on. One major one is your website where people are actually interacting and going and finding and connecting with the therapist. And the other is your actual technology, that actual video technology. So can you talk a little bit about like what it's taken to, to get those technologies and get those platforms ready? So I don't sleep much <laughs> and that's not by choice. It's, it starts, you know, starting a business is hard and it, one needs to have the fortitude to, give up things that might be important um, and so everything comes at a cost I I don't get much sleep I have cut down on my social life but it's all so worth it I'm so much happier now than I was when I was working for a large corporation so I would say in terms of the technology there was definitely a steep learning curve because I'm not a, I, I wasn't a developer or programmer 
and I didn't have a, a co-founder who was, which I, I do think if, if people can find that, that's really uh, a huge asset. I, ha- you know, I made some mistakes. I, have, I call it the prototype graveyard, but we tried a few different programming languages, and they didn't work, so we had to keep on going and keep on going. And it's, it's always just keep on going, and eventually you find, your, you find a way, and you find a way to balance. And if something seems off, you just need to figure out how to supplement it. And again, like I said, people are very willing to help. So I try to enlist experts in different, very specific verticals. I have a marketing expert. I have a, a finance expert so that I can call on them when I need them in, in small amounts, but it really takes a lot of the, the weight off me because I have that learning curve getting up in an area that I'm not familiar with. So as a startup who has been building this team of experts, building this team of people who are actually helping and supporting your company, you've grown, you know, a, a good-sized team, a couple of different full-time employees, a handful of different experts, and obviously you're really managing, kind of overseeing the all the different therapists that you have. Can you talk a little bit about your management style and your leadership style and how have you been able to get everyone on board for the common goal? So, like I said, I was a trader before I came to start this business, and I think some of the lessons I took away and skills are one was being tenacious and and not settling, and the second is make hard decisions and and make them quickly. So I think you probably heard the adage, you know, fail fast. I think I've learn to make hard decisions quickly. And sometimes that means firing someone who's not working out. Um, it means not taking a salary for a long time in order to pay other people. So I think the in terms of inspiring people for the vision, I'm, I'm very lucky because I think the mission is, is so great that people have personal connections to it. And, and some of that work is done for me. Everyone who wants who works with me, you know, wants to make this happen. People are not in it just to turn a dime. They're in it because they want to make a dent in the universe and and make and make a change. And it, it, it's such a right time to be able to do that, which is very rare. That you can affect so many lives. I mean, we've without getting into too much detail, we've had feedback from our patients uh, and parents of patients who have been helped so greatly by our services that it makes everything worth it and inspire it inspires the team to just keep on going even if it's you know even if it's tough what have been some of your major challenges in these in this first you know year or two of your business sure so um, healthcare is a is a very specific has some very specific requirements in terms of the, the legal aspects, the technology aspects, and we, you know, that that was tough navigating an area that I was wholly unfamiliar. And then, secondly, you know, fundraising is always hard, and balancing fundraising with building and growing, that, that that's challenging. Um, also, growing a team that if you put resources into someone to train them and, and get them up to speed and and making those decisions, but it might not work out. That's definitely, you know, that causes setbacks. But at the end of the day, I um, I think figuring out your path and being able to be receptive to change, a big one was the business model. You know, I wanted, I envisioned this as B2C company, and I found that the barriers to enter were too high, so we had to pivot. And if you have the stomach to pivot, I think that is a recipe for being able to have success even 
even when it's it's you know it's not even starting a business. Can you talk a little bit about some of the competition that you have out in the marketplace okay. right now? We've built our platform very specifically for healthcare and for mental health care. So a, a tiny example is the user interface um, with the patient. The patient doesn't see a clock because if you ever if you've ever noticed um, if anyone's been in, to a therapist, you, you don't see a clock because the clocks kind of cause anxiety. You see what time it is and how many minutes do I have left. So they always face clocks away from the patient. So we've built our interface so the patient doesn't see a clock and the therapist does. So small details like that, we've really engineered for the specific vertical. And so I think we offer more um, kind of TLC around around therapy. So that's a, a big differentiator. And also we have that network where we find the right person for you. So if you're searching on Google expert, it's self-proclaimed. It's whatever the expert says he or she is good at. So we do the vetting for the patients. And also we work to get reimbursement. So if, if reimbursement is possible, we can get reimbursement for the patient, which is something that Google hasn't facilitated. Um, just the other competition, there, it's a really wide open field in, in healthcare and, and telemedicine right now. There are you know, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, just rolled out in January. So there are a lot of changes. There is different um, legislation in government to change the telemedicine license laws. So things are constantly changing. So I'm not, I'm not uh, too focused on a competition because I'm just focused on building my product. There are a few other companies out there who do telemedicine just for primary care. There are a number of small companies uh, in mental health care markets as well, but everyone has a very different strategy. So I think just looking forward has been a good strategy for us. I love that. You just kind of keep your head down and tunnel vision and keep on moving forward. Yes, because otherwise, otherwise you'll constantly just be chasing other people and you won't be able to see your own vision. What tips would you give to other business owners who are trying to bring new technology to improve a particular industry? A tip that I got, something I learned, which is really interesting, is I took a very early prototype to a meeting. And I said to a fairly senior executive, I said, it's not ready yet, but here's what we're building. What do you think of it? And he said, oh, I, I wish there was just one big round button that says, I could just press and a therapist appears on the other side. So I said, that's, that's a great idea. Let's just do that. So we re-engineered the design. So on the, on our app, which is not available publicly, but when we license our software, there is one button that says request a session, and then someone on the other side, the providers get calls and answer. So the user interface was incredibly simplified just by this man's feedback. So I think listening to your client, your prospective client, you don't need to wait until you have a product. You can go with an idea and say, would you would you use this? Would you like this? And then just take their feedback and, and continue to build it into your product as it evolves. I think that's one piece of information. The second is, is really create a network. Um, find those meetup groups. Find those accelerators and incubators. Surround yourself with entrepreneurial people who, um, you know, want to make a, a business that creates impact. That's incredibly useful. Also, I do think, well, I am guilty of working from home um, fairly often. I think working from another environment really helps with productivity. Now, I know that you're a part of a community of women angel investors called 37 Angels. From the standpoint of an investor, can you explain a little bit about what criteria you look for when you're choosing what companies to fund? 
Sure. So 37 Angels is a great group, started by William Angela Lee, and it got its name actually because only 13% of angel investors are women. So 37 Angels comes from how can we get to 50%. It's a group where you go through kind of a boot camp of learning how to invest, and everyone has their own styles. But when it's a very early stage company, valuations are not as important because projecting revenues is out to year five when you don't have a product is just not realistic. Every every projection you make will be wrong. So we look at the team first. We said, does this team have uh, the industry knowledge, the technical expertise, and the business experience to to make this happen? And that can be a wide variety of of um, amalgamations of, of, of groups of people, but those are the three kind of pillars of expertise we look for. And if, they, if they're missing a piece, it's not a deal breaker. If it's a great idea and they're missing a piece on the team, you know, I think investors, investors need good entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs need good investors. So if, if you approach from the same side of the table and you see a great idea and a team that's two-thirds of the way to your ideal team as an investor, you could say, well, do I know anybody who could supplement this team? Or is this a coachable team? Can they, would they take my input? And then work with the investor to make that happen. If you're going out to pitch and you get a no, you know, it's, it, there's no problem asking why it's a no. It, it maybe it doesn't fit their portfolio or maybe they have feedback, like, you know, your team's not there yet. And ask for suggestions because people really do like to give advice. Melissa, what have been some of your most challenging moments, maybe some of your lowest moments in your journey as an entrepreneur? Maybe some of those moments when you just didn't think you could do one more thing or you thought, there ain't no way I can get up tomorrow and do this again. Or something, you know, you talked about having to pivot, like maybe you didn't, you just couldn't fathom having to completely make a switch all of a sudden. What were some of those lowest moments for you? Tell us that story and then how you actually kept on going. Sure, I'll give you two. Um, there's one one time when I, my team and I, we won a, co- a competition, and it came with a grant, and it was awesome. We were so psyched, and it was to launch our product in partnership with a very, very large institution. And through no fault of ours, um, there were some administrative issues on the institution side that caused us to have to decline the prize. And this is after we've gotten all amped up and we actually added someone to the team to create this product for this institution and it just we couldn't make it happen we tried everything on our side it just it wasn't in our hands and and so we just we couldn't push it fast enough to meet the deadline and and we just had to swallow that and realize it was out of our hands and that was very it was a painful lesson to learn and now i think when i go to do deals with large enterprises my expectations are a lot are managed much much more realistically. And it's very easy to get excited when you have a startup and you see somebody who you think has interest in, they, they might be an interested investor and you run with it and say, he's definitely interested in investing. And then you can't get excited until the check hits the bank, you know, hits the bank account. And, and the second was a pretty personal one, but I actually started, you know, when I started this business, I was working with a very, very close friend of mine. And we, after, over the subsequent months after starting to work with her, I realized we were just going in very different directions and it was definitely was not working out. And I think because it was a friend, I I made some choices I wouldn't have made otherwise. I let a lot slip through the cracks. I, I was not expecting the same of her that I would expect of 
outside employees who worked for me. I, I ended up losing that friendship over over business. And I think an important lesson if you if you choose to work with friends to really be very clear about the intentions going into the relationship and separating the business relationship from the friendship. And I can't say I, I successfully did that because it, it, I didn't, but I, I wish, I wish I did because I wish I, you know, I, I wish I was able to maintain that friendship. And also it was not, it was not helpful to my business. You know, it was a lot of wasted time and productivity and, and really mental space that, that could have been directed to more useful things. And it was just, you know, it was sad. So going forward, I would say I wish I, I wish I was more clear about that, and also I would take good, great care when working with friends. In your journey as an entrepreneur and an ever-growing thinker and strategist about your company, what books have you read that have really made an impact on how you're running your company? My favorite book is called Rework by Jason Fried and one more individual, and they they are the creators of Basecamp. And it is a book I read um, a few times a week. I flip through it. It's very short chapters with lessons. And I think that's made the most impact. It's really salient advice from entrepreneurs themselves. And then another book is called Venture Deals. And this book is much drier than Rework. But I think it's Venture Deals, How to Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer. And I wish I had this book earlier in my company because I probably would have saved a lot on legal bills. It's written by... Uh, Bradfeld and another gentleman, and Bradfeld st- started Techstars. So there's a lot of great advice to, I mean, it's a little hard to read all the way through, but for contract and incorporation, and just great advice. And it says, you know, from the startup perspective, from the investor perspective, it really lays it out. You can, you can be smarter than your lawyer and, and save a lot of legal bills. They just came out with a second book called The Startup Board, and I'm just starting that now, but learning a lot. And I think it pro- provides a very balanced approach of, of how to go about creating deals, creating boards, and and really useful information that sometimes people don't say in black and white. And, and lastly, I'd say a, a book called Transformative Entrepreneurs, and it's by Jeffrey Harris. And Jeff Harris is actually my professor at Columbia Business School, and he profiles a number of successful entrepreneurs from, from Walt Disney to the founder of Cirque du Soleil to Steve Jobs to Hugh Hefner to Henry Ford and isolates the different characteristics that make an entrepreneur successful or, or really leaves it to the reader to discern what those characteristics are. I think reading these success stories and how sometimes it's just luck and sometimes it's um, incredible drive and calculated analytics, I think makes you realize that you don't, there's not one clear path to being successful. Melissa, what keeps you fired up? What keeps the fire in your belly going for this business that you're building? Um, aside from espresso, um, (laughs) (laughs) not too much sleep. It's really, it's really the feedback we get from the market and from, and, and, We've only launched our product recently, even though our business has been around. Initially, it was it was feedback from from the therapist saying, you know, we we need this, and now it's from from the patients, you know, with success stories about how it's been so impactful. And now it's getting to be the time where it's really exciting, and, and we're really getting super pumped up by by the market reception. And before that, it was really just a personal mission where you can see. It disconnect and you want to fix it 
and so until you fix it, it's hard to it's hard to settle and 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 become complacent. And when you see, you know, when people see injustice or they see you know, anything that really um, hits home, I think that provides great inspiration. I'll give you one more anecdote that I think resonated with me in a way I wouldn't have expected, which is. I, in the two years I've, I've had talk session, I, I took one one vacation, and I, I went down to Patagonia, and I learned a bit about the great explorers like Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin only was on land and collected artifacts and recorded his observations for about three years. Then he spent. 50 years of figuring out what all that information meant. So sometimes, you know, when, when you see other companies uh, in the headlines or getting funding or, you know, making it, quote, unquote, it can be just it can be disconcerting because you feel like, well, I'm, I'm not there yet. But if you think about the long game, you know, Charles Darwin, he spent three years collecting information and 50 figuring out what theory is behind that. I think keeping perspective of the long game and the larger picture can provide inspiration to keep on going. And that leads me right into the next question, which is, what is your vision for Talk Session? We have a lot of work to do. I think there are, there are a lot of disparities in just access that we can fix. But the ultimate goal is to make mental health care accessible, affordable, and acceptable. So that requires us to work on telling our story and reducing the stigma around seeking help. It requires conversations between policymakers and mental health care providers and patients. And it requires uh, work on technology to make it as affordable as possible to, you know, actually teleport people so that we can equalize the, the demands and supplies in the marketplace. Melissa, I really want to thank you for taking your time out to be here with us today and to share your journey. I really sincerely appreciate it. And I wish you the best on your continued journey. Thank you so much. It was, it was really my pleasure. Best of luck to everyone. Thank you so much. One of the moments that really stuck out for me in this interview with Melissa was when she talked about where there's great challenge there's great opportunity for innovation. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, I was raised an athlete and so I've never been afraid of challenges and it's always just keep on going, keep on going for the purpose of winning, for the purpose of getting to the top of that mountain. So I've never been one who's actually been intimidated by mountains standing in front of me, but I got to tell you, the game of business is an entirely different paradigm because all of a sudden it's not just about winning for the sake of competition. It's about something larger and innovation and what are you contributing to the world and who are you touching and how are you having an impact? And that is exactly how I feel like I have evolved as a business person over the years and how I've been able to handle challenges. And so that comment really stuck out to me and really was poignant for how it really applies for business. So what did you get out of it? Come tell me at bizwomenrock.com. That's B-I-Z womenrock.com and go to Melissa's post and let me know what you thought. And don't forget to rate us in iTunes and to become a part of the community on Facebook. I'm so excited you're here and I can't wait to continue sharing great stories with you. Keep it rocking. Mm -hmm.